Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, the Ryan Polly Podcast or the radio show. My name is Ryan Polly. Now, before we get into the episode today, which is going to be the live Q&A from YouTube uh, from the month of May, I have a special request for you, the podcast radio listeners. You see, every now and then when I do a Q&A, I answer a question that I then get done with the show and I go, ah, man, I really could have done a lot better. Oh, I forgot to say this. I forgot to say that. And that's kind of what happened with the show today. There were two questions that came in uh, that you will find out about here soon. One on whether the sun stood stood still in the book of Joshua, and then what my view is on the age of the earth. And I tried to approach the question on the of the age of the earth uh, slightly differently than I normally do, which led to me being a little bit maybe scatterbrained a little bit all over the place and forgetting some stuff that I did want to say. So here's what's going to happen. Is it actually this coming week on Friday? Let's see what the date is going to be. Friday the... 11th. I'm going to have a guest come on who is a young earth creationist. I am a old earth creationist, but I take the view that the age of the earth is something that uh, we should be able to disagree about with Christians. I think that the scripture allows for both interpretations. I don't think it is hard set. You have to be one or the other. Now, I do think that there's one that's true and the other one, therefore, is false. That's how truth works. But I don't think it is something that uh, we should necessarily divide over or or say that someone is not a Christian because they disagree with us. And so what is going to happen this coming Friday is I want to have a young earth creationist come on to explain his view as well as respond to my claims that Genesis allows for both a old earth and a young earth interpretation, that you can interpret it to be old. We're not necessarily going to get into the scientific evidence, but mainly just saying, is there a biblical justification for an old earth interpretation? And so I'm going to give my reasons why I think that there is and have this young earth creationist give his responses to my reasons. And so uh, that's going to kind of tag along with what is gonna, you're going to hear here at the end of the show today. Now, what I want from you guys and what I can't give to my normal YouTube audience and I want to give to you guys is after listening to the Q&A today um, and hearing my comments at the end on why I think that there is a biblical justification for old, old earth creationism, I would love for you to send in any questions or comments that you have on that topic. You can email them to contact at coffeehousequestions.com, or you can um, send them to me through social media, Instagram, Ryan Polly 3 Twitter is the same thing, Ryan Polly 3 or on the Facebook account for uh, my page, and I would love to address some of the specific questions that you have. I have questions that I'm going to send him, and I have questions that I have for him, but I would love if you had questions based on the Q&A that you listened to just right now in just a moment, uh, or comments that you have that you would like to hear addressed, um, please send those in. And I would love to address your questions and your comments in the live discussion coming up this Friday on the justification for the age of the earth in scripture. So that is what my request is for you. I hope that you enjoy this. And as always, please know that even though you're listening to this after the fact, you can send in your questions. You can text them in at 714-989-6927. I believe is that phone number. Maybe I should look it up here really quick just to make sure. Um, yeah, 714-989-6927. You can start texting that number now with questions for the June Q&A at the end. You can also send in your questions uh, through social media at RyanPolly3 on Twitter and Instagram or on the Facebook page. And that way, even though you listen on podcasts and you or you listen on the radio, you can still get questions sent in for that end of the month live Q&A. And also, if you want, you can join at the end of the month. It's at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time every last Friday of the month where you can call into the show or you can just send in your questions live into the show and kind of have that conversation. So just make sure you guys know. I, I want to show that I'm not forgetting you. You are not forgotten. I so appreciate those of you who listen on podcasts, those who listen on radio I don't get as much interaction with you because it's happening after the fact and there's not kind of the same ways to to comment and, and to participate that I can see on YouTube. But I so appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you for doing what you're doing. I so appreciate it. And I uh, want to just let you know that opportunity. And I would love to address the questions that you have regarding the age of the earth. So with that, here is the Q&A for the month of May. Hope you enjoy. 
Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. This is the end of the month Q&A where I do my best that I can to answer the questions that you have on science and faith and the Bible and worldviews and culture, ethics, all of that fun stuff. You know, as a high school teacher and just finishing my 10th year, actually, my goodness, it's crazy to know how quickly it has flown by. But as uh, finishing my 10th year, I teach historical Christian doctrine and apologetics. I teach a comparative religions and worldviews and a philosophy of ethics. So those are the topics I love discussing. Those are the topics I love talking about and thinking through with students and with all of you. And so if you're new to the show, uh, this is a weekly show where I challenge you to think deeply about the Christian worldview, where we together look at what Christians believe, why we believe it, and then learn how to faithfully live it out in the culture today. And we do that through having end of the month Q&As, some short videos that I post from time to time, as well as I have guests that come on and some longer teachings on specific topics. So as always, I'm always having conversations with fun guests I'm excited to tell you more about. Uh, Right now, I don't have any immediate information for you, but there's some emails going around that are going to be a lot of fun that you should check out. So you can always connect, subscribe. Uh, The the end of the month, the last Friday of every month, 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time is the live Q&A where you have the chance to Send in your questions on social media ahead of time or text them in. You can also um, message them in the live chat right now. So if you ha- have a question, uh, you can send that into the live chat. And then also you can contact that number right there, 714-989-6927. That is a Google Voice number where you can text it and you will receive a link to join me on the show. And we can talk things through, have a little conversation, have some back and forth. Um, you can present objections to what I'm talking about. Uh, let's just be right, fair and and kind to one another, uh, show, you know, learning together, trying to think through these difficult challenges and issues. So the topics that came in ahead of time uh, that we're going to be looking at is the earth. Just kidding. As Joshua says, the sun stood still in Joshua chapter 10, how to understand that one, as well as the age of the earth. So thank you for being here. Thank you for joining. And um, I will put a... Um, all of the links and timestamps in the description below. So if you wanna just kind of skip to the questions that are most interesting to you, if you're watching this or listening to this afterwards, uh, you can skip ahead to the questions that you're more interested in rather than having to sit here the whole time. So that is an option if you're interested in that as well. And so I will jump in here really quick. As uh, the summer is approaching, I finish my school year next week As maybe you know, or maybe you don't, Um, as a Christian apologist, I'm also a speaker. I speak at camps. I speak at churches and and schools. Uh, So if you have a church, a camp, a school, or you know of a church camp or school that is looking for someone to come in and do a training with students and to teach some sessions, uh, you can always check out my website, which is, boom, right there, coffeehousequestions.com. There is a speaker page. Uh, You can see um, example videos. That's also on my YouTube channel. You can check out uh, all the topics that I generally cover, as well as if you want, you can request me to come to your event this summer. The calendar is pretty open. I am teaching some summer school, but the calendar is pretty open if you want to check that out. Um, Can't remember if there's another announcement that I had. Uh, With that, hmm, I can't think of one. So, we're going to jump in again, send in your questions and your comments. we got a couple of things here, not a lot to cover today, but, um, always a fun time having these kind of conversations with you. So first of all, this question came in here. Um, according to the Bible, Joshua made the sun and moon stand still in the sky for a day as a Christian apologist. Do you believe this was a real event that actually happened? And so let's jump over here to my Bible as we open up and see exactly what this text is saying. So here we have uh, the example given here in Joshua chapter 10. I don't know why that just got cut off. Let me adjust that so you can see the whole thing. There we go. Oh, I know why it got cut off because this switched for some reason. There we go. Okay. Joshua chapter 10. uh, Where are we now? That's chapter nine. There we go. Chapter 10, verse 12. At that time, says Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun stand still at Gibeon and the moon, the valley of Aijalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. It is, uh, is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of the heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or ever since when the sun, when the Lord heeded the voice of man for the Lord fought 
for Israel. So Joshua returns uh, and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. So what are we supposed to do with this passage? Well, let me just maybe state this first of all. Um, there is a common urban legend, if you want to call it that, that floats around online in regard to this question about the sun standing still. And this actually, I was faced with uh, back for the first time down in the Dominican Republic when I was a missionary and I was going over some apologetic stuff and and talk, and someone used this as an argument for the truth of Christianity, that Joshua talks about the sun standing still in a day. And the argument is that NASA has actually proven this. That there is a story that that claims that NASA was doing some experiments using computer simulations, tracking the um, rotation of the Earth and tracking all the days. And all of a sudden the computers kind of went funky and it was messing up and it was saying that everything was off by a day. And then uh, there was a Christian scientist uh, who was working on the project and said, hey, I just realized in the book of Joshua. Uh, it just talks about how the sun stood still for a day. And so they, uh, the story began to spread as, look, NASA has um, discovered the lost day uh, in the book of Joshua. Now, the problem with this story, from my understanding and the research that I've done, is that this story really started a long time even before NASA. And it has slowly changed and adapted into the modern technology where now it's computer simulations running this. But as far as I can find, virtually everyone on the spectrum from like, literalists and and what they believe about astronomy and how the Bible and science fit together to those who really do trust science, everyone kind of that I'm seeing from both ends of the spectrum are saying, look, this is an urban legend. Stop using this argument. There's nothing like this that NASA has found. And so we should not use it. So what do we do? What do we do with this passage about the sun standing still? Well, a few things to think about, and I think that this is also going to apply to our second topic that I have here that was sent in ahead of time. And, and that is, um, should we read this literally, right? Should we read it literally? So let's go back to the passage here really quick, uh, where it talks about, here we go. The sun stands, stood still at Gibeon and the moon in the valley of Aijalon. Now, you often hear in these sort of conversations, as well as the conversations that revolve around the age of the earth, which is what we're going to get to in a moment of that. We take the Bible literally. And, and so we have to read it literally. And so you can't use any scientific understanding to apply to the text. And if you do that, you're taking man's knowledge, you're taking um, secular science and applying it to God's word and God's word should supersede. God's word should be um, more authoritative than the sciences. And I agree with that. However, one issue I have, if we're going to say, look, I read this verse literally, is where it says the sun stood still for a day. I think most of us would say, well, the sun hasn't just been standing still for a day. The sun has stood still for anywhere between 6,000 years. And I forget what uh, the other date is. The earth is about 4.5 billion. So billions of years. <laughs> um, the sun is not the one moving. The earth is moving. And so even if we want to, so if we're going to say, look, I take a literal reading of the text, then what we have here is that the sun is standing still, which is what the sun does, right? And so we already have to recognize that there's, what I think is a possible explanation is that there's some phenomenological language that goes into this, right? And so what we have to think of is a couple of things. Number one, again, don't use the argument that NASA has somehow proven this verse to uh, be true. Secondly, when reading historical literature like the book of Joshua, there's nothing in this text that suggests based on the genre that it should be interpreted figuratively, right? This is not poetry. This is not apocalyptic literature. This is historical, right? And so there is, this isn't like a type of thing where we should immediately jump to this is figurative language. However, within historical genres, there is normal language, everyday language that we describe how things appear to us, phenomenological language. Um, it's not always written in this precise scientific mathematical language that we would expect in a science and math classroom. All right. So we, we, we do that in everyday language. And I've talked about this many times and many different objections that come up to scripture that, that fall into this category. And it's something that I think that we can benefit from if we can keep that on kind of the back of our mind as we're being faced with different objections is that 
often people object to scripture because it does not have this extreme scientific or mathematical precise language that we want to see and instead uses language like we use in everyday language. And so we we don't object to that normally. And as someone commented on a previous video, it's like, yeah, we normally don't object except for it's on, if it's on Twitter, right? If it's on social media and we're in a debate with someone, then we object and we say, ha see, you said this. It's, oh, we don't do that normally in normal conversations. So here's what we have, I think, two options. Now, there's many different ways in which this has been tried to... Um, tried to be reconciled, that there's maybe a solar eclipse or that uh, maybe they said that it, the day seemed very long, or maybe there's this weird reflection, re reflection of the light that came from somewhere else, um, or maybe just the, the, the day's heat, something had, maybe the day was hotter or something like that. Um, I don't know necessarily between those, um, but I do have, I mean, not necessarily that I have my, I have a view, but I'm not sure exactly. And I think there's two legitimate possibilities. Number one, it's very possible that the sun, the sun standing still literally meant the earth stopped rotation. It's very possible, right? The God, the creator of the universe absolutely has the ability to stop the earth. Now that can throw off gravity, that throws off all this kind of stuff. So there's lots, but God is the creator and sustainer of all. He could, technically, he could keep all of that together. He could stop everything in a way that the sun literally stops moving because the earth's rotation has stopped for a certain amount of time before then kicking it back into gear. That is definitely a possibility. Miracles do happen. Now, if someone wants to object to this, like miracles are impossible or miracles are a violation of the laws of logic or something. That's not true, right? A miracle is not a violation of natural laws. A miracle is just when natural laws have been interrupted because of an outside more powerful force just like the law of gravity can be interrupted by you catching something that is falling or by us flying planes in the air. We don't violate the law of gravity. We just know how to counteract it or to um, have something more powerful than it. And so we can learn how to float in the air and we can fly in the air and we can catch and stop things. And so that's what we have in a miraculous thing. God as a more powerful being has the ability to stop this. Now, is that I think that's a legitimate option. We can read this literally in the sense that, yes, the earth literally stopped and the sun stopped rotating. The earth stopped rotating and so the sun stopped in the sky. I think another le completely legitimate and reasonable explanation is that it is phenomenological language that, my goodness, the day seemed to drag on and on and on. It was like three days at once, right? We talk about this all the time. We have language that talks about how the day just lasted forever. Not that the day literally lasted forever, but the way in which we experienced it, the way in which we saw it. And so it's like, man, is the sun ever going to set? It seems like this day is going on forever. I think that that simply could be a possibility. And so there definitely could be some, as mentioned here, some meteor, a meteor, why can't I say this word? Meteorology, meteor, wow, that's, I'm having a hard time reading that one word right there. All right, there we go. So a, a, an event could have happened out in outer space. Um, as well as this could simply as simply be something as phenomenological language. And I think the important point that I want to end on here before going to the next topic is this, is just because if someone wants to, okay, someone wants to deny a the possibility of miracles for whatever reason, miracles are not possible. Therefore, this didn't happen. Again, that second option kind of says, well, look, we don't want to just throw miracles out the door. Right? We, we recognize the miracle of creation. We recognize the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus. If God exists, miracles are possible. But you can't just dismiss this as being pure nonsense just because you disagree with a miracle or the ability for God to do this. Uh, this can easily be explained in other ways. And some people do take it in those ways. So um, meteorologist. There we go. Hey, that helped with a little dash. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> Slam around. Thanks for being here as well. Um, so... Uh, that is a few thoughts. So as a Christian apologist, do you believe this is a real event? I, I don't know. I don't know if there's any way to, to tell. It is a hundred percent absolute possibility that the earth stopped its rotation. So therefore the sun stopped moving in the sky. Um, I think it's a very real possibility that it's a phenomenological language that they were describing things based on what they saw. And it appeared like the sun had stopped or the day just seemed really long. I think that is a legitimate possibility. I don't think that the fact that this is coming from a historical literature, uh, removes one of those options. I don't think that we need to throw one out just because it's miraculous because God could definitely have done that miracle. 
And so I think just simply based on this very short description that we have in the other passages talking about this, um, I don't think that um, I can come to a conclude a conclusive thing saying this is what happened. Um, I don't know, but both of those make sense. And to me, it doesn't matter a whole lot. <laughs> I, I, either way, this story is not just false and blown out of the water. Therefore, the Bible is full of nonsense. I don't think that is a conclusion that we should be coming to. Um, all right. Again, uh, questions, send them in live chats, uh, call into the show. Again, here's that number. If you want to call in 714-989-6927, I'd love to have a little chat with you. Uh, you can, again, can object or ask questions and uh, have some fun with that. So next topic that we have here is this actually came up last week is what is my view on the age of the universe? And so I want to have a brief kind of conversation on kind of where I land on this issue. I guess I can leave that up for people to know what's being talked about. Um, okay. What do I land on this issue? As I teach my high school students that I don't think that this is a core doctrine. All right. Like to me, um, look, you can hold to the age, the universe being old. You can hold to the universe being young. Jesus Christ still rose from the dead. The evidence from the resurrection is overwhelming. The existence of God is overwhelming. Uh, I don't think that how old the universe is, is this major doctrine that should divide us or cause us to say that someone is not a Christian or a believer. What I do in my high school class uh, is that I teach both sides. I teach uh, the arguments that say that the earth is young. I teach the arguments that say that the earth is old. And I say, hey, you pick the one that you think makes the most sense. I don't think it is that big of a deal. However, I do have an opinion. Now, uh, some questions that I have, and again, kind of going back to what I said I was going to talk about from that last conversation, is that one common objection that you get when it comes to age of the earth conversation is this idea that if you accept that the earth is old, you are also accepting uh, evolution. And that simply is false. All right. That's simply false. And again, we should stop using this argument. Um, a progressive creationism is not the same thing as theistic evolution or evolutionary creationism, right? So you have young earth creationism. I think the three main views, there's other views for sure, but kind of three big views is young earth creationism. Everything is created in six literal 24 hour days around 6,000 years ago. You have progressive creationism that says everything is created over kind of six periods of time, six days, each one being a longer period of time. But in progressive creationism, each species is still created in its current present form. Microevolutionary changes are allowed to happen, just like when you have a child, it is still a human, but it has a different genetic code, right? There's small genetic changes that happen, but it stays within the species. Uh, but not macroevolution, not common ancestry on progressive creationism. It's not so you get to something like theistic evolution that now is going to accept certain evolutionary theories as well as God being a creator of the universe. And so I want to just make sure very clearly that just we need to stop saying that if you hold to old earth creationism, that therefore you're also accepting evolution and you're accepting these other things. All right. Cosmology, Big Bang cosmology and astronomy is not the same as biology is evolutionary biology. They're two different academic disciplines where you can say, look, I do believe one is correct and the other one is flawed. And here are my reasons for it. They don't have to be lumped together. Now, obviously a secularist, an atheist is, is going to put these together because you kind of need both. If God is not the creator, you do need uh, Big Bang cosmology to explain the existence of our universe and you need evolutionary biology or something similar to it to explain advanced, intelligent human life and the existence of life. But as Christians and holding to God as being a creator, you don't have to accept both of these. And so um, that's not, I think we need to stay away from that argument. Now, the second thing that was mentioned, and I want to kind of push against as well, is this idea that if you accept theistic evolution, it's just a small step before now you're an atheist. And I think this is a slippery slope argument. I don't think that's necessarily true. There are atheists that have accepted Christianity because they recognize, oh, just because I believe evolution's true doesn't mean Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. Doesn't mean these certain things. I can still hold to my evolutionary beliefs and believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, there's a lot of explaining to do. I'm not here to advocate evo uh, theistic evolution. I, I actually push against this view uh, for the time that I have. Um, but uh, 
Brent, what's up, my brother? <laughs> Long time podcaster, first time YouTuber. Well, thanks for coming, Brent. Good to see you here. Um, okay, so I push against theistic evolution. I, I think it creates problems that um, are com maybe ir un uh, irreconcilable problems or at least problems that I think are too big to accept. And I think there's other ways to reconcile it better. But again, if we're going to say, look, if you adapt evolution, then you're just going to become an atheist. Well, there's atheists that become Christian because they realize they can hold to evolution and still believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Like that should be our goal is focus on Jesus. And then, and then the other views kind of come with that. And so I think that we need to be careful with that. Thirdly, I think before I get to my view, I think the third problem is this idea that if you accept the age of the universe, you are compromising scripture. And the issue I think that this has is it, it makes our interpretation of scripture, scripture itself. Right. So I was listening to a debate between Jeff Swerink of Reasons to Believe and Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis. Right. If you know Reasons to Believe is a famous progressive creation, uh, Christian science ministry and Answers in Genesis is a very famous young earth uh, Christian science apologetics ministry. And so uh, Ken Ham and Jeff Swerink were having this debate. And one thing that Ken Ham said frequently is, no, you are, this is a compromise of scripture or I hold to scripture. And what I think we have to recognize is that we're all interpreting scripture. We all have to read scripture and interpret it. And so the person who says, look, I think that this is a better interpretation is not necessarily compromising scripture. To, to immediately assume someone who holds to a different view than you theologically is compromising scripture, I think does not give the benefit of the doubt that we need to give. I think we need to recognize that there are some things in scripture that are difficult to understand. And there are some things in scripture that we can disagree on, you know, like the Calvinism Arminian debate or what's going to happen at the end of the earth. Is there a rapture or not? Like we look at those and you can have your view, but to, to, to claim that anyone who disagrees with you is somehow throwing the Bible out the window. They're just compromising scripture. I don't think is the way that we need to immediately approach it. Now, I do think that there are some views that do compromise scripture and we should be able to show that. But just because someone has a different interpretation does not mean it is a compromise. We also need to be careful about this idea that we compromise scripture just to make room for secular science. And I don't know why. We always want to pitch science as the secular thing and then scripture is, is the Christian thing. God is the creator of our universe and God is the author of scripture. The interpretation of scripture is our theology. The interpretation of the universe is our science, right? We have to do theological study of scripture to understand what scripture makes and we have to do scientific investigation to see what nature is revealing to us. Both of them are God revealing his knowledge to us through general and special revelation. And both of them are our ways of studying God's revelation to understand who God is and what he reveals to us. And so to claim that somehow science is secular or the secular science and you're bringing that into scripture, I think is a mistake. There are scientists who are Christians and there are scientists who are atheists. It's individuals that have worldviews. Science is not secular. Science gives us data about God's creation. It's the person interpreting that data that has a worldview that we have to understand. And so, again, I think the problem that often happens in this debate is that we pit science and scripture against each other. Say, so, no, I hold to the Bible. I take the Bible literally. You don't. You are twisting it. You are doing whatever. And I think these are mistakes that, that don't allow us to have a healthy conversation. So as I get into uh, some reasons why I hold to the view that I do in talking about my understanding of the age of the universe, I hope that we can agree on those points, that we're all trying to understand scripture the best we can, that God has revealed himself both in nature and in scripture, right? This is clearly seen in like Romans chapter one, right? Where it clearly talks about God's knowledge, right? That God reveals knowledge. That's also in, in Psalm 19. I, and I love this verse. And I'll just pull it up here again, because this is probably a verse that all of us have seen many, many, many times. But in Psalm chapter 19, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge, right? Not just night to night looks pretty, but night to night is revealing knowledge, a justified true belief. And so we see the same thing in Romans chapter one, where God's divine attributes, Romans one, right? For what can be made known to them 
about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Right, so we have to recognize, and, and I think everyone needs to come to this, or all Christians at least need to come to this understanding that when we look at nature, God is revealing knowledge in nature. God is revealing his his nature in nature. God is revealing himself in nature and so that we can understand things in what has been made. The study of the things that are made is science. And so we can use science to understand God. So hopefully I've made that point extremely clear of that this is the kind of the starting place that we need to be. So again, I think a, a problem that we have, as I talked about in the last one, is that we want to say, well, I take the Bible literally. Well, no, we don't. And again, like one of my questions, and this is a legitimate question, and if, if you hold to a young earth view, um, a few questions that I have here for you uh, from, maybe we can even talk about from Genesis here at the beginning, if we take this literally. Uh, and this is a question I wanted to ask uh, Ken Ham after the debate. I didn't get a chance. Um, but if you only take the Bible literally, as he, well, he talks about, he takes it literally, and that we should never use science and impose science on scripture to understand scripture. Instead, we have to understand science through the lens of scripture. Uh, why does a young earther, this is an honest question, why does a young earther think that the sun is the center of the solar system rather than the earth? Right? When we see things like in Joshua 10, where it says the sun stood still, and we see things of the sun is what is moving, and we see things of uh, the sun rise and the sun set, and we see things of the earth sit still on its foundations. Unless we accept scientific investigation, I don't know how we understand from a purely um, biblical view that the sun is the center, not the earth. And I think the same thing can be applied here when we look at Genesis chapter one. But I think a first question, and I know that there's a lot of responses to this, but this idea of, again, if how do we have, and this is why I hold the view I do. And again, you guys can call in with your objections. You can uh, send them in in the question, in the chat, uh, if you have responses to this or you want to push against it. But number one is, um, first of all, the word yom. In Genesis chapter one, that means day. It can have different literal interpretations, right? Yesterday I did this versus during the day I played basketball and at night I slept versus I went to high school back in the day. We use the word day in English as well as the Hebrew word yom is the same thing, that day can mean a shorter period of time during daylight. It can mean 24 hours and it can mean a longer period of time. And we see all three of these meanings in Genesis chapter one. So for example, um, in verse five, verse one, right there, God called the light day and the darkness night. So that day is being called that 12 hour time during that time. Now, if you want to say that at the end of each day, now here you have a 24 hour period, the third day, the second day, the first day, those are a 24 hour period. And then in Genesis two, so God created man in his own image. Oh, just kidding. That's not Genesis chapter two. That's the end of one. These are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created. In the day, the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Well, here in Genesis chapter two, the word day is used to refer to the entire creation week. So I'm not having to pull from other aspects of scripture. I'm not having to pull from outside sources, just simply from Genesis chapters one and two, the word day is used to refer to the daylight, 12 hour period. It's used, it can be used if we want to say 24 hours on the days, as well as Genesis chapter two to refer to the entire creation week, that word day talks about the time period, the creation week. So it is very possible from within the scripture, a literal interpretation can mean a longer period of time. So what that does, is I think that does help in a few different ways. If we start with this understanding that God is revealing himself to us in nature and scripture, that there are times where Scripture clearly says something, nature says something opposite, right? So scripture says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And for a long time, uh, science and philosophy, uh, scientists and philosophers were saying our universe is eternal. It did not have a beginning, right? There's a contradiction. We recognize they both can't be true. One has to be right. And we realize now our current scientific understanding is that our universe does have a beginning. Scripture was right. Our science was incorrect. However, there are other times where, for example, Christians for maybe a long time claimed that the Earth was the solar center of our solar system because of what scripture revealed until science came along and said, um, no, the sun is the center. And we went, oh, we are misunderstanding these verses, right? This is phenomenological language, just like we still use today. The sun rises and the sun sets. 
even though we know the sun is not rising and setting. And so we recognize that to be uh, true as well. And so, um, so I'm seeing some of these comments here. Thank you for commenting in. And so I think that we can recognize that these are literal interpretations that we are taking from scripture, understanding these things. And so when there's a contradiction, we recognize that science and the scientific interpretation and the biblical interpretation can't both be accurate. We have to reconcile these. However, there's times when the science has been right and we've readjusted our interpretation, not readjusting scripture. We've readjusted our interpretation of scripture. And there's times where scripture is right and we have a now better scientific understanding. And so when we recognize that, then we say, okay, how do we reconcile this? And how do we make sense of this? So if we understand in the first chapter alone, the word yom in Hebrew can mean multiple things. It is used in multiple ways in the first two chapters of Genesis. There's no reason why it cannot mean that. Second of all, I think it helps when we take this understanding is that how do we, if we take a literal reading, the sun is not created until day, now I'm forgetting all of a sudden, to day three. No, day four. Day four is when the sun is created. So if the earth rotating around the sun is what is for 24 hours and there is no sun until day four, how do we have a literal 24 hours uh, there? So we already now have to say there's some other source of light, right? That it's not actually the sun, uh, that there's some other source of light that we are going around. And so I think that can have some questions that we have to ask is, okay, what, what is the source? Um, so how do we have a literal 24-hour day if we're not rotating around the sun in that same way? And so there's already some other, um, we have to imply, we have to add some other things there to kind of make sense of this. Also, um, if we want to say, well, I take a literal reading of the text. Um, it's in verse seven. Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So if we want to take a literal saying, look, you can't use any sort of figure, figurative thing. There has to be a literal reading. How do we understand God breathing? But God doesn't have lungs. God doesn't have breath in a physical, literal way. And so even within this passage, we still have this idea of what does it mean for God to breathe? This isn't a literal interpretation of now God has lungs and is breathing into him. We understand this in different ways. And so um, I'm going to go through some of the comments here uh, because I know I told you guys to send in some objections or questions that are th that, uh, that how to understand this. But I think these are a few things that we need to start with. And so when we see <clears throat> our current scientific understanding, again, it's not this atheist science. Science gives us data about God's creation. If we believe that the data we have about God's creation is accurate, and then we say, look, this can be reconciled with scripture without compromising the gospel, without compromising scripture, because it is there in the language, then this is an easy way to reconcile. And in my work with students, I have seen students become stronger in their faith. This is not causing them to walk away from the faith. It's not like, oh, the earth is old. Oh my goodness. Now I've just distrust everything. It's well, look how beautiful scripture explains and fits with what we understand scientifically. And it's, it's been a cause of strengthening their faith rather than walking away from their faith. And so I think it is a beautiful thing uh, when we see how God's nature and God's scripture fit together. Um, so there definitely are things that we take literally and others that we don't take literally necessarily. Um, to say that nothing permits the day age interpretation, that's what I'm saying. I, I think it does permit it. The, the word yom allows for that possibility the way that Genesis chapters one and two allow for that possibility. Um, the, the term, uh, this is really good. Uh, Untangelo, thank you so much for these comments. The term, it was morning and evening at the end of each thing. Um, that some scholars uh, can explain that by saying, look, it, it's like saying, um, it's, it's like in a play, right? The, the curtains close and the curtains open and it's simply recognizing that it's the end of that period, the next period is starting. And so to say that there is evening and there was morning here in Genesis chapter one uh, each time doesn't necessarily mean that there has to be, that's when the sun set and came up. It definitely can mean that. No, it definitely can mean that. Now, here's one other interesting comment that happens. So you can either say, I think one possible explanation that I've heard is that of this is just a poetic way of closing out the section before the next one starts. Others I have heard make the claim that this actually is speaking of literal 24 hour days, but it doesn't, it's not necessarily meant to be taken literally. So explaining is that when you say this computer cost me an arm and a leg, you're literally talking about arms and legs. We're not, it's not like you're figuratively meaning something else, but you're, you literally 
are saying an arm and a leg, and you're talking about an arm and a leg, but the phrase, this cost me an arm and a leg, means this was really expensive. And in the same way, it's raining cats and dogs, same thing. Now we're talking about cats and dogs. I'm not having some weird meaning for cat and dog, but the phrase it's raining cats and dogs is saying it's raining very heavily. And so some scholars do suggest that uh, the, the, the ending of each day, saying it was evening and morning the fourth day, is pointing to the fact that this is a 24-hour day, but that 24-hour day is not necessarily meant to apply literally. So that's a possible explanation as well. Again, I think the big thing that I want to stress here is with these different ways of understanding scripture, like what we're all trying to do is we're trying to do our best, right? And so I'm not saying that you guys are, are somehow, you know, um, critiquing me in a negative way, right? What we're trying to do is we're trying to understand our best. And we say, look, it could mean this and it could mean this. Either way, God is the creator. He created all things. It's a beautiful way in which these things fit together. And Jesus still rose from the dead to come out and to really criticize others, as I have heard, saying that because you hold to this view, you're not a Christian or something is just too far that we should not go. So continuing to kind of work through these questions, what is the problem with young earth, old universe? Um, so the problem in that gap view, and, and this came up before, is that uh, this was suggested and implied uh, to say maybe the earth is young and the universe is old because, hey, maybe there's a gap between Genesis 1. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, the darkness over the face of the deep, the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then you have a big gap in time. And then in Genesis chapter three, then God said, let, let there be light. And so you have this idea that the universe is created a long time ago. There's a gap between verses two and three, and then the earth is young. Um, a couple of reasons why I personally am not convinced of the young earth, old universe view is number one, it says in one, in verse one, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So everything is created there. What it's seeming to do, or what it, I think this view seems to try to do, is it tries to reconcile the days of Genesis in chapter one, being six literal 24-hour days, but then the scientific understanding that our universe is old. The problem is it's not just the universe being old in the scientific understanding. In the scientific understanding, the earth is 4.5 billion years old. The universe is about 13 0.7 billion years old, but even fossils, animals are millions of years old. And so to, I, I, don't, I don't see a convincing argument to somehow separate it to say, well, the scientific data we have on the fossils and the earth is incorrect. The earth and fossils are 6,000, but the scientific data we have on the age of the universe is correct. And that is billions of years. Um, I, I don't see that gap in science as well as I don't see the gap in the biblical narrative in Genesis chapter one here. So that would be my reason uh, why I think it creates some problems in my mind is that you kind of have to add gaps in both science and in scripture that aren't there. Um, I think the better reading is to either read scripture at a face value and say, look, this is 24 hour days. And so we need to understand how to understand all the scientific data based on everything being young, as the Bible talks about, or we see, you know, the scientific data as, as having this understanding and seeing scripture in a way that reconciles that. And so I think to kind of take the best of both worlds, so to speak, I think can be problematic. Hopefully that helps. Otangelo, I, I hope that helps. I know this is, uh, I believe it was you, right? Uh, last week that was making these comments and, and asking these questions. And so I hope that at least uh, that helps in, in my explanation of where I stand. And so I personally uh, hold to the earth being old. I believe in old earth creationism. I, I do not hold to evolution. I have other videos on science uh, that um, explains uh, problems with evolution. I've interviewed scholars on evolution. I am hopefully having some interviews coming up talking about uh, God being the creator and arguing against this kind of naturalistic evolutionary process. Um, but what I understand in scripture, as I've tried to make clear, is this belief and understanding that science is not just naturalistic. It's not just naturalistic, materialistic science. There's a way in which we can study science from a Christian worldview to get a better understanding of God's creation. And so when we do that and we see, look, to me, the data, the data is very um, convincing. To me, the data is convincing. From the data from astronomy, uh, the age of starlight, uh, the record of history is very convincing. Um, I've talked about this on the show before, but I can briefly go through it again. I get a little drink of my coffee. Um, 
Starlight is telling a record of past events. And so I've had um, young earth creationists talk to me and present things of, of well, what about like um, God created uh, Adam with the appearance of age? He wasn't actually old, but he looked old. Or, or uh, Jesus turned the water into wine and it, it tasted like an aged wine, but it was actually a new wine. Couldn't the universe be the same thing? And, and yes, it is very possible uh, that it could have the appearance of age. The, the difficulty is that the universe doesn't just have the appearance of age. It actually is aged. So it would be like Adam having memories of a childhood that never took place. It would be Adam having scars from accidents that never happened, right? When we see and that, that, that you know there's a supernova, uh, twenty million light years away. That's saying that, su that the supernova took place twenty million years ago. If we're just now seeing it, if everything is only six thousand years old, then that supernova actually never happened. That event didn't happen. And so now you have God putting light in transit coming to us of past events that actually never took place to where it's making us think that something took place that didn't. That to me is very deceptive. That to me is very deceptive in the same way that if he made Adam with memories of a childhood that never took place. And so there's a difference between Adam being old versus Adam looking old, but yet being young. Uh, I think the Jesus example of turning water into wine, I don't think is the best example because the people there knew. Uh, not everyone knew. Some people were very surprised by the wine, but others knew that he had turned the water into wine. They went and filled up the wine barrels themselves with the water. And so they understood it tasted like aged wine, but they knew that Jesus had just literally turned the water into wine. And so it was not this deceptive thing that Jesus was doing because not everyone, but definitely some people knew. And so that would be one reason I think uh, I'm very convinced that the earth is old is starlight. I, I think that there are good reasons from different dating methods of different dates. Um, I think different DNA methods. Um, I just think that when you combine all of it together, it makes a lot of sense. And when I read Genesis, I don't think, and I've tried to explain it here. I don't think that making a case that our universe is old compromises scripture. I don't think it goes against the gospel. I don't think it is accepting atheistic secular science. Um, I don't think it is bringing in evolution, which I reject. Um, I don't think it is the next step to becoming an atheist. Um, it has strengthened my faith and it has strengthened the faith of a lot of people that I know and a lot of students that I've talked to as they have this problem of here's what I read in scripture and here's what my science teacher is telling me. And if we don't give a, a reasonable way of reconciling it, uh, sadly enough, I see more people, I hear more stories of Christians, young Christians walking away from the faith because their science teacher, their science professor simply just has more credentials than their Sunday school teacher or their Bible teacher. And so if they, if they have to pick one, they're picking science. When we say, look, here are the problems with naturalistic, materialistic science. Here's the issues with a secular way in which they approach science. Here is a biblical perspective on science and understanding science from a Christian worldview. And here is a legitimate interpretation that fits the scientific data with a Christian view. I've seen that strengthen students' faith, faith, not make them walk away. And so that is my goal as I help them see this. And again, I, I think that doesn't create any other issues. Um, I guess there's other issues that could be brought up, but uh, to me, I don't see it in that way. So um, those are the two main comments, main questions that I had that came in ahead of time. So if there's any questions here at the last minute, um, if not, I'm going to take off, which might help because I have a senior awards night tonight in like an hour and 15 minutes that I got to get ready for. So, um, but if there are questions, I am giving you guys the full hour. Uh, we do have some time if you want it and you want to ask something else. But other than that, let me just finish by again by saying, uh, I hope that this is an encouragement to you. I hope that this is... Um, I hope this is good for you. Um, again, I, uh, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to take this time to help you better understand what scripture says, at least give a, a an interpretation of scripture, my thoughts, try to justify, justify my thoughts with good reasons. I obviously can't answer every single question. I don't have an answer to every single question, but I'm trying to do my best to help you guys understand this. And again, help, hopefully allowing this to ground your faith more fully and more deeply understanding who God is. A couple other announcements. Actually, let me throw this out there before you guys take off. Um, there's a conference. Um, I don't know the date of the conference. Let me pull it up on my phone here really quick. Now I'm going to be gone uh, one week in June. I'm going on a Maven trip. There we go. There's Maven. Uh, one of my jobs again is working with students uh, uh, with Maven and heading out to Salt Lake City, uh, leading their immersive experiences. And so um, I will be gone June 13 to 19 out in Salt Lake City with a group of students having conversations with Mormons and training them in theological studies. I'm really looking forward to that, but that probably means 
that week there will be no live show. Um, but what I want to mention is that on July 23 and 24, there is a conference titled Discipleship Begins at Home. It is a virtual conference put on by Women in Apologetics. Uh, I think you can go to women, just Google search women in apologetics and it'll come up. Uh, but they're putting on a virtual conference of how to disciple and train students. And they've asked me to do a breakout session where I'm going to be doing a session on how to uh, train your students in Christian worldview and uh, helping them see the importance of worldview and apologetics and building the faith in that way. And so I'm really pumped to be participating in that event. I would encourage you to check out Women in Apologetics. Uh, check out that event if you want to sign up. Again, it's completely virtual. It'll be a Friday night and Saturday event. Uh, hopefully a lot of fun and encouragement for you guys there. Um, as well as, as I mentioned at the beginning, if you have uh, a church or school or ministry or anything that you would like me to come speak to, I would be very happy to come out and to join your group, whether it is virtual or whether it is in person and to uh, challenge your group or ask to think more deeply or to present some sort of material to help them understand the Christian faith more fully. So with that, um, I think I'm out of uh, announcements. I hope you guys have enjoyed this again. Uh, please subscribe on social media. Um, you can send in your questions. You can continue to follow for more updates on interviews that are coming up in the future. If you've enjoyed this, please share it with a family or friends. Share it with someone to be a benefit to them as well. That is the best way to get this word to spread to other people. And so I appreciate when you guys do that. It is a huge blessing and an encouragement. Well, again, I just want to thank you so much for listening to this show. I hope that maybe it made you think of some questions. And so now is your time to send those questions in contact at coffeehousequestions.com. You can send them me through Twitter or Instagram at RyanPolly3, Facebook as well, or text them in at 714-989-6927. Uh, the conversation this next week is going to include things like we're going to get into some of the verbs used in Genesis chapter one. We're going to get into uh, other uses of the word yom, uh, arguments against old earth creationism like Jesus in uh, Mark chapter 10, talking about creating Adam and Eve at the beginning of creation. And how does that make sense if they came 13 billion years after creation? And so many different arguments as well as things that I forgot, like um, in the day that God created the plants, it says that they sprouted up out of the field. And so uh, does that seem to suggest a longer period of time? Or day six of creation, where Adam was created, placed in the garden, took care of the animals, um, got lonely, and then Eve was created. Does that seem like more than 24 hours? And so a lot of different passages that we're going to be looking at both for and against um, old earth creationism, looking at whether it's justified to believe in young earth or old earth, or is there only one way that we need to look. And so that is going to be the conversation. We're, again, we're not going to get much into the scientific data behind it. This is mainly just saying, does the Bible justify, or in his old earth, or is an old earth interpretation justified by scripture? Uh, is it available? Is it open? And is it an option? Or is the only possible true reading of scripture, young earth creationism. So that is going to be the discussion and that is going to be our topic. And that is what I would love for you to send in your questions and comments regarding. So uh, with that, I hope you guys have a wonderful and blessed day. I hope this has encouraged you and I hope the show continues to encourage you again. You can also send in um, any topics that you want covered or people that you think should be interviewed. And I'd love to take that advice and that um, those suggestions and try to make them into reality. And so thank you so much for listening. I hope that you have enjoyed this. I could pray that you continue to think deeply about God, Christianity, and Jesus because they are worth thinking about. Pray that God blesses you guys and have a wonderful rest of your day and a great rest of the week. God bless everybody. See you next week. This is Ryan Polly with the Ryan Polly Podcast. I just ask you leave, won't hesitate to follow you.